Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. This is episode 160, and today we're finishing up the series on the doctrines of grace. Hope this has been fun for you. We're going to wrap it up talking about eternal security. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we need your help. We always need your help every day. And we want to recognize first and foremost that you are holy, that you are good, and we thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you that you've been so benevolent in all areas of our life. You've been faithful, and we want to recognize that. Jesus, thank you for all that you've done for us. Holy Spirit, lead us as we talk through the power of Christ to save and to sustain and to hold. Holy Spirit, thank you for being the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And Lord, just help me to wrap up this series in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, guys, I hope you're doing very well. We had a great Lord's Day gathering yesterday with our church family. It's been a lot of fun just gathering with the church every week and continuing to do small group. I hope your church, pastors, I hope you've been really leading the charge and making sure that your church is continuing to gather. And I really want to encourage you as we go into the fall and winter, Pastor, please keep meeting, keep obeying God. And, you know, this this ministry has really developed into this Pastor Courage ministry of helping pastors to be encouraged to obey God no matter what. And in so doing, not just helping pastors, but then helping their people, helping Christians just to look at what God has to say and get acquainted with the culture of the scriptures and then look up to see what's going on in the modern day world, what's what's happening right in front of our eyes and seeing, whoa, that's not right. We really want to honor the Lord and obey the Lord and then let that, the kingdom of God, spread through, by the grace of God, through us obeying him and then seeing him work. And so, please, keep meeting, keep gathering, and watch the Lord work. Okay, today we're talking about eternal security. And this is something that in the doctrines of grace that builds on the previous doctrines that come up from the scriptures, but really is just clear standing on its own as well. In fact, with eternal security, there's a lot of people who don't believe or love the doctrines of grace that still hold on to eternal security. And what we're going to do first is kind of set up the doctrine biblically, look at these verses, and then we want to ask a question, well, what about apostasy? Because there's passages about falling away, and how do we how do we consider that? We'll look at a couple passages that people say, well, look, you can lose your salvation, and we'll, we'll clear that up, or that's not saying you can lose your salvation. But then we'll also look at real apostasy from the church and recognize that the scriptures do have this category of visible church, invisible church, and it is possible to walk away from the visible church of God and prove that they were not really of us, prove that they're actually severed from Christ, and they weren't actually converted, but they are really severed from Christ in the sense that they're severed from the church. Okay, first, eternal security. Romans chapter 8, here's what verse 30 says. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the ordo salutis. This is the order of salvation. This is from beginning to end, the very work of God. It starts with predestination, and then it goes all the way to glorification. And if you'll notice, what God is doing here is he's setting up this order that will absolutely happen. As surely as he predestined, as surely as he justified, he will also glorify. This is a great promise for every Christian that is justified. The real question is, have you been born again? If you've been born again, if you've been justified before God, well, as surely as that happened, actually happened in your life, well then, you're going to be glorified. These things go together. If you've been justified, you will be glorified. This is incredible. I mean, it's a great promise, and it's comfort as we go to bed at night, 
It's the very work of God in our lives, not just to save us, but to preserve us. That's the title of the doctrine is Perseverance of the Saints. But really, I think R.C. Sproul said it, it's actually preservation of the saints. Or We're talking about it in terms of eternal security today. I don't use the phrase once saved, always saved, because there's so much draped around it, just draped on it, this idea that you can pray a prayer and you don't really have to be born again. You can just pray a prayer and then live the way you want to live without any real repentance and faith and then get your ticket to heaven kind of thing. We all know that caricature of once saved, always saved. And so I really want to avoid that by talking about eternal security or preservation of the saints. But we see this not just in Romans 8, but we also see this in John chapter 10. And I want you to see this. I preached a sermon on this a couple years ago, and I titled it Double Eternal Security. And you'll see why here in a second. Here's what Jesus said, starting in verse 28. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus has everyone that he's given eternal life to. He has put them in his hand, and they will never perish. And if that says they will never perish, that means... Everybody that's in the hand of Christ will never perish. Jesus is not going to open up and let those people go. We don't have the ability to pry open his fingers, as I've heard so many people say before, and jump out of his hand. We are safe in his hand. But also, listen to this. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So the Father has us in his hand as well. Now, there's Trinitarian unity. Clearly, there's only one God, but we have Jesus the second person of the Trinity, and we have God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, both holding on to us and keeping us secure. They've got us. They're not going to let us go, and we can't overpower God. Do we really presume that we have the power to push God and rebel against him so much to pry his fingers open? Or is he not powerful enough to save and to keep? And that's the, that. That's really what we're talking about here, is that God is powerful enough to save. You know, this isn't some, some idea of, Christians being held against their will, that if you're born again, that you really want to rebel against God. Remember, these things build on on the previous doctrines that we've talked about in the scriptures. If he predestined you, and if Jesus died for you in a saving way, and if the Holy Spirit has converted you, then you're going to want to walk with Jesus the rest of your life. Uh, There's going to be ups and there's going to be downs, or mountains and valleys. There's going to be difficult seasons. You're going to walk through fires and floods, but God is going to be faithful to preserve you through that. And you're going to want to love and obey him all the days of your life. That's going to be the deepest desire of your heart. You're never going to want to rebel and walk away from him. You're never going to want to pry open those fingers. God has a hold of you. So in John 10, we see that that the Son and the Father both have us in their grip. And then we get these guarantee passages, the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 1, we're told that the Spirit is our deposit. Guys, you know this. Okay, pastors, you know this. You're preaching this. Again, maybe this is a tool to help you guys as you're talking through what God has done for us in Christ Jesus with your church, you know, with your church family or members, church members, if you're not pastors. I know i got a lot of non-pastors that listen into this. I want to thank you so much for, for listening in. I want this to be as helpful as possible to as many people as possible. So thank you. But guys, these are passages that you've read before, that you've considered before. Just really want to call your attention to it and just look at it again. Ephesians chapter 1, we see the work of the Spirit and the fact that the Spirit is our guarantee of the inheritance that's coming to us. This is in verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit of God is put within a believer. 
And the Spirit is our earnest payment. It is our guarantee that we will acquire possession of all that God has for us. All that he intends to give us, we will get it because we have the Spirit of God within us. Now, 2 Corinthians 1.22 and 5.5 say the exact same thing, that the Holy Spirit is our, it's like our down payment. The Holy Spirit is within us and guarantees that everything that God intends to give us will come to us because the Holy Spirit is within us. All these things build and all these things rise from the pages of the scripture and tell us that if you are in Christ Jesus, you have eternal life and you can't be snatched. You you can't walk away. You don't want to walk away. You will experience eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ and with all his people. You know, as we're thinking about this, immediately, if you're you're like me and you grew up in a home where I had a dad that believed you could lose your salvation and a mom that didn't, and these are basic theological conversations that people have in churches, well, can you or can't you? And what about the apostasy passages? And what do you do with with Hebrews chapter 6 and Hebrews chapter 10 or John chapter 15? What I'd like to do is just clear up some of those passages. We're just going to walk through them real quick. We're going to look at them and ask and answer some questions. So John chapter 15, we're going to look at apostasy passages, what people use to say you can lose your salvation, and we're just going to... And we're going to clear it up. So John 15 first, starting in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And branches are gathered, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, doesn't that sound like, I mean, here's clearly what it says. If anyone does not abide in me, because the Father is the vine dresser, Jesus is the vine, and if you don't abide, you're going to be cast out and thrown away. You're going to be like a branch that withers, and the branches are going to be cut off and thrown into the fire and burned. See, what people say is you can lose your salvation. But there's this verse right here in verse 8, and here's what it says. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and here it is, and so prove to be my disciples. Therefore, if you do not bear much fruit... If you're the one that does not abide, you are proving to not be his disciples. And that's the key to the whole passage in John 15. There are true and false disciples within the vine. The true disciples abide. The false disciples do not abide. One bears fruit and proves to be a disciple. One does not bear fruit and proves to not be a disciple. So that does not teach that you can lose your salvation, but it shows us who are true disciples and who are false disciples. What about Hebrews chapter 6? Hebrews chapter 6 is 1 and 10 that people use regularly to say, look, you can, again, lose your salvation. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted of the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Guys, it is absolutely clear you can fall away from the living God. You can fall away. It just said you can fall away. But does that mean lose your salvation? Does falling away, the question is falling away from what, does that mean you're losing your salvation, like you were once justified and then now you're not justified before a holy God? Well, verse 9 in the same chapter, just a few verses later, really clears that up. Though we speak in this way, the author of Hebrews says, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Now, in my Bible, I I circled things that belong to salvation and drew a little line up to what we were just talking about. Because what the author is saying is these things don't belong to salvation. If you fall away, if you taste of these things, even tasted and shared in the Holy Spirit and got to use the the gifts of the Spirit within the body of Christ and got to be an encouragement to others for a season, if you fall away and walk away, those things don't belong to salvation. It appears to belong to salvation. 
It's like those in Matthew 7 that show up and say, Lord, Lord, but we prophesied in your name, we healed in your name, we cast out demons in your name. And Jesus turns to them and says, depart from me, I never knew you. Even in the moment of spiritual activity, even in this time that you are doing things, big things for God, quote, big things for God, I never knew you. The same thing is evident in Hebrews chapter 6 where you can do all these things, you can share in the body of Christ and even, even partner with the Holy Spirit in some, thing, in some way and yet not belong to salvation. Things that don't belong to salvation. And we'll get back to Hebrews here in a minute. We'll get to Hebrews chapter 10 in just a second as we look at Romans 11 and, and then Hebrews 10 and talk about the visible church. But first, 1 John chapter 2. This is verse 19. John is a pastor in Ephesus and there's some things going on and shenanigans going on. People forgetting their first love in Ephesus and not truly loving Jesus. And here's what he says in verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it may become plain that they are not of us. What John says, and he's talking about specifically those who are justified now, the invisible church. They were, a, they were a part of the visible church, but they were not a part of the invisible church because they went out from us and they were not actually of us. That You could put that word actually there. They were not of us. And that's, that's what it means is they, they looked like they were of us, but they weren't actually of us. For if they had been of us, if they had really been a part of the invisible church, if they'd really been a part of the elect, if they'd really been a part of the justified, then they would have continued with us. But they went out from us that it might become plain that they were not actually of us. That's so key. There are people who walk with the Lord. It looks like they're walking with the Lord. They're experiencing the visible body of the church. They call themselves Christians. They're going to the table to receive communion. It looks like walk with the Lord for a decade. And you look back years later and you wonder, what in the world happened to so-and-so? What happened? You know, why did they fall away? Why do they walk away? Why did they apostatize from the church? Why are they denying the faith? And it's because they were never actually of us. They were a part of the visible church. They looked like they were part of us. They shared in the Holy Spirit. They experienced the common grace of God. And they were in some measure sanctified or set apart from the world by the blood of Jesus. But they were not actually converted. They were not actually circumcised of heart. And so they fell away. So these falling away passages, as we look at this, we have to understand what are they falling away from. And they're not actually falling away from being justified. They're falling away from the visible church. This is what Romans 11 makes clear and Hebrews chapter 10 makes clear. In Galatians, it says that you can actually be severed from Christ. That doesn't mean severed from salvation from Christ, but severed from the visible people of God. And here we are in Hebrews chapter 10. And to me, this is the most difficult of all these passages, but we have to love it. Because we love God's word, right? There's nothing in God's word that we don't love. We have to love it all. And here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. If we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and outraged the Spirit of grace? This is a, oh my gosh, guys, this is terrifying. I have somebody right now that I have in mind and I don't want this for them. They were once a part of the visible church and now they're walking away in some way. I think this is, uh, going back to the episode I talked about on covenant theology, I think in some way the blood of Christ can bring people in to a covenant and yet they're not actually converted. 
and they can outrage the spirit of grace. Now, by which he was sanctified, James White makes the argument that by which he was sanctified is not talking about the person that's walking in sin, but it's talking about Jesus, the Son of God there. And I don't think that that's happening there. I think this is what this is clearly saying, is that if you deliberately keep on sinning after you know the gospel and after you know the people of God, you've received communion, you've walked with people of God and experienced the grace of God in that way, well then, if you walk away, there is no hope for you. There is no hope for you, and God will get his vengeance. Verse 30, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God, and it is. And just a few verses later it says, 39, but we are not of those who shrink back or are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So he's saying we're not like that, but there are people like that. That verse in verse 39 has been used to say, well, look, there's nobody actually like that. But there are people like that. We've seen them. We know them personally. And so the whole point is, is that they're not losing their salvation. They're walking away from the visible church. They're really apostatizing from something. But it's not opening the grip of Jesus, opening the grip of the Father, taking away the guaranteed of the, of the Holy Spirit. It's not a losing of a justified verdict that comes upon you because all those he justified, he will also glorify there's this unbreakable nature to the work of God in the doctrines of grace. And these, and these doctrines, again, come up from the pages of the scripture and they portray a glorious beginning to end of it being all of God's grace. Spurgeon's book, All of Grace, tells it plainly and clearly. All of our salvation is nothing of us and it's all of God's grace. God has been kind to us. Guys, I hope this has been helpful. We're going to be back talking about pastoral ministry and life next week, but wanted to take this opportunity to just talk about the doctrines of grace. I love God's grace. I love the salvation that he has given me, and I think we all want to grow in that. We all want to keep learning learning and exploring the grace of God and thanking him for it. So guys, I hope this has been helpful. Hey, have a great rest of your week, and I'll be back on Thursday. I didn't get to it last week, but we'll have an episode this Thursday, which will be an interview. And yeah, guys, have a great week.